Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome so much to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, we are thrilled that you have joined us this morning. Uh, just like Alex said, we're one church, multiple locations, and uh, if this is your first time, we know each and every week it's someone's first time, so if this is your first time and my wife Wendy and I have not had an opportunity to meet you, we look forward to meeting you after service, so thank you so much for joining us. Well, last week, if you were here, we celebrated 20 years of reaching people and building lives. Yeah, at Milestone Church all across the DFW area. It was amazing. I mean, there was, uh, you know, free t-shirts and ice cream and uh, popcorn. I didn't realize that popcorn had like peppermint on it or something. It's like powerful. I don't even like popcorn, but I'll eat that, you know. It was awesome. It was an amazing time. So we celebrated together. We worshiped together. But what was so significant also is we had a time of giving. Every year we do something called our miracle offering and giving towards just a continued advancement of reaching people and building lives and just seeing families give. Just a special moment, even seeing families up here with children, seeing kids putting money in the giving baskets. It was just phenomenal. And we know that people travel, things like that. And so I mention it to you because there's still opportunities for you to be able to give. If you'd like to give towards a miracle offering, you can do that online. But it was just an amazing time of celebrating. And I tell you what, I'm so grateful for all that God has done over the last 20 years, but I'm so expectant about what he's going to do in the next 20. So I'm excited about all that God has in store. Well, today we're starting a little series called Thankful. We're going to talk about what does it look like to experience God's presence in our everyday life. You, you think about thankfulness and gratitude and all of those things. We all, we all kind of, we snap to that a little bit. We're like, yeah, I want, I want to be thankful. I want to be more thankful. I feel like I should be more thankful. If you have children, you're like, you need to be more thankful, okay? It's like we resonate with that. We, it, it, we connect with it, you know, and, and, and we go, well, how does this plot in our everyday life? And so what I want to do today is I actually want to help you a little bit and connect how can I practically live a more thankful life? Is it just saying thank you more often? Is it like, uh, what do I do? How does that work? And, and you know, you think about this season. I think about the particular nature of this season. It's Thanksgiving week. And so we know that even this morning there may be family members that are in joining uh, and, be, and being with family this week. You're here visiting. And so welcome. I want to welcome you and just say thank you for being in the great nation of Texas. You know, if you're from Texas, well, thank you for being in the great area of DFW and joining us. All right. But hey, look, it's, it's, we hope that you have an amazing time with your family. And we hope that you just have a special moment uh, this Thursday and over the next few weeks as you spend time with family on Thanksgiving. But it, it's interesting because when you think about Thanksgiving, you know, we've just come out of a great debate. And, and I'm not talking about all the debates leading to like Super Tuesday and the elections. It's actually, I think, the greatest debate in this season of, of really of all times. And it happens every year. It's when does Christmas start? You know what I'm talking about. Now, I grew up, and maybe, maybe it was because of my age. Maybe it was because there wasn't social media growing up. When I grew up, maybe you resonate with this. November was for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was for November. Like, that's what it was. So we got some traditionalists in here. You're purist, all right? I see it. I get it, you know? And December was for Christmas. Like, that was December, Christmas, Christmas, December, November, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, November, okay? But in recent years, I've seen this. This progression, this progressive nature within our culture. And I, I mean, I really don't know what to think about it. But I think more and more of you are ascribing to this philosophy right here. 
Christmas begins November 1st. Thanksgiving is the 25th, 26th, 27th. And then Christmas starts back up, right? I've seen some of y'all. You're already, it's like November 1, throw the Christmas decorations up. You're like, they're up all the time. You know, all this kind of good stuff. And you're all into it, right? And to be transparent, I'd be up for like, leave Christmas up, decorations up all the time. But that's not necessarily because I want Christmas up all the time. I don't have to take it down and then haul all those totes up. Back up into the attic. I mean, that's a full-on beatdown and a workout in and of itself. But the joy that it brings to my beautiful bride and little girls, it's so worth it, boo. It's so worth it. Guess what I'm doing this afternoon when I get home? <laughs> Finishing setting up Christmas decorations, all right? You, you think about that. You think about all those things and, and what it looks like. And so how do we live a thankful life? Why, why is it that we like that? Well, part of it is we, we like the, the feeling of Christmas, right? We like what, But we, we like gratitude also. We like thankfulness. We're not opposed to it. But here's the thing. What, what we're doing, like when we start setting up Christmas decorations on November 1st, or whether you're setting them up this week or you know, the day after Thanksgiving, whatever your tradition is, what we're doing is we're saying, look, I want to ascribe value to something. I value Christmas, or I value the feeling, I value what it brings, what it represents, what it means. Thanksgiving, I value, like I value, I value you know, my little girl came home and was like, Mom, you got to get a turkey. There is a turkey shortage. I'm like, how does my 12-year-old know there's a turkey shortage? What is happening in the world today? But needless to say, my wife gave way to what she said. Guess what Wendy did? Wendy goes out and buys a turkey. I'm like, listen, take her to leave. I like a good turkey. Take her to leave it. I said, what I'm really concerned about, there's going about to be a pumpkin pie shortage. Do we have the pumpkin pie? That's what I want to know. Yet, to this day, we don't have one. I'm getting a little alarm. Pray for your pastor. I hope that when I go to Costco, they still got that big old $5 pumpkin pie there for me, unless all you bought them all. We ascribe value to things. We, we, we elevate things because of the importance that we have. And so I want to talk to you about thankfulness. And I want to talk to you about something that... Maybe when it comes to being thankful, we don't always think about it. I want you to open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. We're going to get there in just a minute. And, and really what I'm going to do is I'm actually, before I even get to Romans 12, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to give you really a, a decent amount of scripture to kind of set up this principle of thankfulness and some ways in which we look to God's word and understand how we can live a thankful life. You think about coming into the holiday season, thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. We get excited. We get fired up. You may get a little nervous, too, because you're thinking about conversations and relationship and interactions you're going to have that, that you're wishing, I, I could do a little less of uh, that. Uh, you're thinking about the conflict and the drama, or you're thinking about, is so-and-so going to say something that's going to set somebody up? You're thinking about that crazy uncle that's going to be there, and oh, he's so awkward and obnoxious. And if you're wondering, well, who's the crazy uncle? You're the crazy uncle, just so you know. If you don't know who the crazy uncle is in your family, you're probably him, okay? So you, you think about all those things, and you start thinking about, well, well how can I, I, I want to be thankful, but I'm thinking about these things I'm going to experience relationally and conversationally. I, I want to be life-giving. I want to be encouraging. I want to respond appropriately. But how, how do I do that? Now, we're more aware of it in the holiday season. But, but I would tell you, encourage you, and challenge you that what if we live more thankful and more aware all year long? 
What if it was a way in which we lived? It was a way in which we operated. It was a way in which we interacted and engaged with people. We can live that way. Well, how? You see, because you think about, well, I mean, how do I do that, Chris? Pastor Chris, if you knew my family members, if you knew my family dynamic, if you knew the situation, or take it out of the holiday season, if you knew my challenge, if you knew what was going on, if you knew what I had to experience, I I want you to look to the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians because he gives us a principle that transcends all of that. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, rejoice always. Think about what you go through. And yet Paul, and Paul experienced a lot of stuff. The Apostle Paul experienced tons of things. Challenges, shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, falsely accused. Okay, All these things. And yet here he is. He's saying rejoice always. Pray continually. And then here it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Because some of the things that we walk through and the things that you're experiencing, you're like, I, I, less of that. I'm not thankful for that. Yet what Paul is saying is even in the midst of those things, you can be thankful in that situation. Well, how do we do that? Well, what does that look like? How do I live a more thankful life? Because what he's saying is thankfulness doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. That's what it looks like. So how do we live that way? What does that look like? And I want to help us connect something to Thankfulness that perhaps we don't always think about when we think of being thankful. And it's this. It's that thankfulness translates actually a thankful life. It actually translates into a more worshipful life. I want to talk to you today about worship. What does that look like? I want to answer some questions because even when you hear me say the word worship, you're wondering, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are we talking about? What is, what is how, we're going to get there. I'm going to help you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you what does God's word say about it? What are the questions you think and what are the feelings you even feel about it? But I want you to look and recognize the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says this, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, how many are grateful for a kingdom that can't be shaken? The Bible says this writer, the writer of Hebrews actually says what can be shaken will be shaken. We all have things in our life that can be shaken. But I'm grateful that there is a kingdom that will not be shaken. There's a Lord of lords and a king of kings and he presides over a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we have access to that kingdom. And he says since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, here's how we should respond. Let us be thankful and so worship. God acceptably with reverence and awe. So he's saying, there's something we have access to, and because of that, we should be thankful and worship accordingly. So there's a worship that comes along and it's tied to our thankfulness. You see, thankfulness really is one of the highest forms of worship. Someone once said this, gratitude or thankfulness, it's the shortest lived emotion. Now, I understand what they're trying to say. They're trying to say that when I'm grateful and I'm grateful, it's amazing how we kind of move on from that. We forget what people have done for us or how they've been there for us or prayed for us. We forget real quick. We don't live a life of gratitude. It's more momentary based on a circumstance, really. But God's saying you can live a life of gratitude. I understand what they're saying, gratitude, thankfulness. It's the shortest lived emotion. But, but thankfulness is more than an emotion. You see, because emotion is circumstantial. Now, your emotions aren't the enemy. We need to listen to our emotions, learn from our emotions. It's not just a feeling. Thankfulness is not just a feeling. Because if that was the case, then it simply begins and ends with me. 
It's all about me. What's going on in my world? Do I like what's going on in my world? Then I'm going to be grateful. You start realizing really quickly when your feelings and emotions are dictated by your circumstances, you have a very limited amount of gratitude and thankfulness in your life. Well, you start playing that out. What is that? I mean, you call it what it is. It's probably selfishness, it's, it's pride, it's self-centeredness, which we would all say, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be that, I, don't, I want to be thankful, I want to be grateful. So, so how do we do those things? You see, the difference is this, thankfulness is always focused on an object. It, it's always focused and has a, it, it is focused on someone or something and the way that someone or something has had an impact on our life. You see, thankfulness is, is not something you just work up. I just want to work it. It's not hype. It's not feeling. It's emotion. It's not, or it's not emotion. It, it's, it, it begins with placing gratitude and thankfulness on an object. That's why thankfulness is an affection we give to God for who he is and what he's done for us. The writer of Psalms says this in Psalms 100. Verses 4 through 5. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. What's he saying? Come into his presence. Be thankful. Let there be praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. You see, we come into his presence with gratitude and thankfulness. Why? Because we recognize and see that he's been good and faithful. He's been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. And those who are the most thankful really understand the power of worship. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, Chris, help me make the connection. I see the connection. Gratitude, thankfulness, worship. But, like, what are you, worship, what are you talking about? Like, what, is it like the, word, like the song part, the music part of, like, the service? The, the part I try and, like, like you know, y'all are already started. I try and come in, like, I'm gauging. Typically, we do an average of three songs and a tag, maybe four songs. I'll come in around the third song. I feel good with that flow, you know. Are you talking about that? Are you talking about, like, worship? Is that, like, what, like, like super Christians do? Like, once I hit a certain level of, like, relationship with Jesus, like, I just, I worship more? Like, these people, I see them. They like, they're raising their hands. Do they have questions? I don't know. I want to answer their question. I feel like that's the kid in the class the teacher never calls on. Call on that guy. Little girl up here singing. Got the guitar. Love his voice. Awesome. Will you call on that brother? He's got, he has two hands up. He's not waving, but he's got them up. Someone, what is that? Is it emotion? What is worship? Is it like, they're just really emotional and there's like feelings. I thought you said there's not feelings and emotion, but is that what it is? Well, well, I want to help you understand what is worship. What, what is worship? Because we're all wondering, what is it? Well, the word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, which simply is the ascribing of the highest worth to someone or something. So when I worship, what I'm doing is I'm ascribing worth and value to someone that's due that worth and value. That's what worship is. That's what I'm doing. I'm placing it on there, on, on, on someone. 
And the Bible talks to us about what does worship actually look like. Because we go, okay, I see what worship is. All right, I, I want to do that. Okay, so biblically, then how do I worship? God's word actually gives us a description and ways in which we can actually worship God. Because there are ways that we can worship him. Okay? There's ways in which you do it. So, so I've kind of lined this out. Different expressions of worship that you'll find in God's word. And there's scriptures that are connected to this. And so there's three real main categories. I told you, I want to help you. I want to equip you, better understand what worship is. So that we answer the questions that you're feeling and that you're thinking. Well, first is our voice. Speaking, shouting, singing. Right? So, so with my words, with my voice, what am I doing? With my mouth. Psalms 34.1 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips, shouting, yelling. Some of you, you're really good at that. I can get like that. Wendy's like, babe, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm just excited. I'm not mad. I remember the first time I went to her house for Christmas. I'm like, babe, can I talk to you? Man, what's up? Like, is everybody mad at each other? She's like, no, why? I was like, everyone's yelling at each other. She's like, oh, no, no, that's just how they talk. They got one volume loud in New Orleans, Louisiana, Okay. I'm like, you just get shouting. You should, well, what are you shouting because you're mad? No, you're shouting because you're excited. You're shouting because you're grateful. Psalms 27, 6 says, shouts with joy. I shout with joy. There's a joy because of what's transpired in my life. Singing. Singing that I'm going to sing before the Lord. Now, some of you, I know you think, like, I can shout and speak, but, but singing, I can't really get me either. But I can still worship. So you may go, well, I can't. But you can sing. I like, I really like scripture. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I feel like I, I resemble that remark, you know. It's like, I can do that. I can make a noise for the Lord. Well, well how about our posture? Kneeling, standing, dancing. All these are aspects when you look to God's word. These are ways in which you can worship the Lord. Ways in which you, what, ascribe worth and value to him, I recognize the value of who Jesus is, who God the Father is in my life. And so by doing so, I can do those things. How about our hands? Playing an instrument. I can't really do that either, and I can't sing. But I can play a mean air guitar. I can do that for Jesus. Clapping, lifting hands. That's why when you come into an environment like this, you may see those things. But listen, you may not see all of those things within a Sunday morning service. But these are all ways in which you can worship. You can ascribe value. Now, here's the thing. Different expressions of worship. Let's say I change the word worship, though. Different expressions of how I cheer for my favorite college football team. I know some of you, some of you, I know, I, there's a couple in the first service. They're South Carolina fans. I'm texting them last night. They were doing it. Lord, they're kneeling, lifting hands. Lord, just do it. Lord, let's beat Tennessee. They did it. They're jumping up and down, yelling, shouting, clapping, cheering. It's amazing how we change the object of this expression. We do it really well. So you, you, you see these things and you read this stuff. And I put the word worship, ascribing value to something, and all of a sudden you're like, pastor's just trying to get us more expressive in worship. I don't, I don't like that. That's a little uncomfortable. That's funny. I put your favorite college jersey on you, and I put your team on, and it's a big game, and it's amazing how you get full-on crazy. And can I be honest? I do the same. 
I do the same thing. So that ties to this aspect. We, the, again, I'm giving you what God's word says on how you express worship. But why is this so important? Here's why this is important for you. Because we're all designed and created to worship. Okay, well, well help me, Pastor Chris. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, First Peter. I told you, I'm going to equip you. We're going to go to God's word. I'm going to help you understand how to live a more thankful and worshipful life. Because when you do, you'll experience his presence in your life in a continual, ongoing way. Probably a little different than what you thought. A little different than you're, oh, okay, well, I, thankful, worshipful, how does it impact my life? Well, First Peter, First Peter here is significant because First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you're saying, okay, Pastor Chris, you're telling me I'm created to worship. How do we know this? We look at the words of the apostle Peter here, and he's writing. He's been writing to the church, and he's saying, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's pretty significant. He's speaking really highly of you. Now he's saying you're all of those things for what? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness in to his wonderful light. Now I don't know about you, but I was called out of some dark places. Things in my life, whether it was addictions or depression challenges that I experienced in life, you too were probably called out of a level of darkness in your life. And can I tell you what, he's, what, what Peter is writing is saying, this is who God says you are so that you may declare how good God is because of what he's done in your life. When I recognize that, I can't help but clap, shout, raise my hands, maybe kneel in prayer, whatever it may be because of what he's done in my life. And listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. You're like, well, I mean, my, my dark place didn't sound as dark as yours. Dark can be relative. At the end of the day, there was a point in your life where you did not have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're in that place now. You don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered your life. But when he comes into your life and he transforms you, you now go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. You go from darkness to light. And that's something to be thankful for. And that's something to worship and praise about. You're created for worship. You're saying, okay, well, I, I, I see you're, 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 you're okay, I, I see a little bit, Pastor, because you're kind of connecting the dots. Well, let's look at the words of Paul. There's an interaction in Paul with Paul that Paul has in, in a city called Athens in Acts chapter 17. Now, again, I told you, I'm, I'm laying the foundation here to then help you connect the dots and how you live a more thankful and worshipful life on a day-to-day basis. So here's Paul. Paul is in this area, and Paul is having conversations with individuals. And he comes into this region of Athens. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. You come to service every week. You serve. You got one of them serve team lanyards on. You look powerful in that. You got your sweatshirt. You're going to joy. You're here, you help out, you do those things. I see those things. Now, you got to understand, he then says this, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant. I mean, that's kind of strong language. But what he's saying is you essentially don't know any better. 
You're ignorant of the very thing you worship. What is he pointing out here? Here's what he's helping us see. They all worshiped. It wasn't the challenge of worshiping. There are no non-worshippers. No one in here, even if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. None of us in here are non-worshippers. He's simply saying, it's the object of your worship. What is, what, what is it that you're putting worth, attributing and ascribing value, worth, honor to? We all do it. We all do it. And listen, not everything you do that to is bad or wrong. But here's what we have to recognize. That as Christians, if you do have a relationship with Jesus, what we're called to do is even in those good things that aren't bad in and of themselves, the challenge is when we make those good things the ultimate things. As believers, the primary, ultimate thing that we should be ascribing value, worth, and honor to is first and foremost Jesus. Everything else is secondary to that. You see, you were designed and created for worship. You're created for worship. And Paul understands this. And so now you go, okay, now help me understand. I see what you're saying, Pastor Chris. Here's ways and expressions of worship that I find in God's word. I'm created to worship. That worship is ascribing value, honor, worth to something. How does that play out in my everyday life? Well, Paul helps us in Romans chapter 12. I told you, we're going to get there, but I wanted to set you up a little bit. I wanted to resource you, give you some, some, some context, some information, some understanding. Most importantly, God's word to understand the significance and principle of thankfulness and worship and how they tie together and impact our life to live a more thankful and worshipful life. Paul's writing Romans chapter 12. He's writing to the early church. He's writing to the church in Rome. Now, here's what's unique is in this context as he's writing, he's writing, and when he's writing to them, he's writing to the Jews and he's writing to the Gentiles. And he's giving this big principle, this aspect of, of, of communicating to all of them this aspect and principle that all will be saved. Up into this point, up into what Jesus did on the cross, the reason the Israelites and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had such a problem with Jesus is essentially what he was saying is, Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles as well. He came for everyone. So, and, and, and just so you know, well, who's a Gentile? Anyone that was a non-Jew. So anyone in here, unless you have Jewish heritage and Jewish background, we're all Gentiles. And Paul was commissioned. Peter reached many of the Jews. Paul went to the Gentiles, people like you and me, and that's who he reached out to. That's who he connected with. That's who he was, that's who he was really sharing the gospel with. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying everyone, salvation is for everybody. Now, this is the early church. So, so much of this stuff is like mind-blowing. It's shifting, but what it's shifting is it's shifting cultural narratives. It's shifting norms that they had believed and been exposed to as a culture and as a people, the Jewish people predominantly. And he uses this principle in Romans 11. He talks about being grafted in. He's saying that Gentiles and Jews are going to be grafted together. What does that mean? They're coming together as God's people. Now he picks up, I'm, I'm giving you context of what's been happening in these first 11 chapters, and then we get into Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and here's how he starts. I want you to understand what he's talking about before he gets into this principle here. 
He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Letting them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. Now, sometimes people read this and it's confusing because they see and hear the word sacrifice. And they're like, man, is that like death, sacrifice, sacrificial? Sounds weird. He's speaking of a principle of sacrifice. He, he says clearly, living and holy. He's not talking about killing any particular one. He's certainly not talking about killing yourself. He's talking about the principle of sacrifice. You all know how to do that. If you're a parent in here, you sacrifice. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your resources. So your kids can probably have things that maybe you didn't have or they can have the best advantages possible. Maybe you don't have children, but you're like, man, I'd love a new car. I'd love a new boat. I want a house and broken boat. You sacrifice. You go, I'm not going out to eat. I'm setting aside money because I have a goal. I'm sacrificing. And so what he's saying is your life, as you live sacrificially, it's a form that's acceptable to God. And then he goes on and says what? He describes what that type of living is like. This is truly the way to worship him. So a worshipful life is living a life of sacrifice? Living as though my life means more than just simply everyday, ordinary life? Well, yeah, but yet there's significance in your everyday, ordinary life. Watch what he goes on to say, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You think about the context of this scripture. So much in here. Pastor, I mean, I have questioned 20 plus years of walking with people in ministry. What's God's will for my life? How do I live a worshipful life? How do I live sacrificially? How do I honor God? Paul is telling you right here. This is how you live a life of worship. Here's how you live a life of gratitude. Here's how you understand and discover God's will for your life. Now, I want to even make it even more clear for you. I want to break this down even more. I want to show you this same passage in a translation called the Message Translation. A man named Eugene Peterson essentially took God's word and he translated it into even more conversational, perhaps even more common and familiar language for you. Now, watch the picture that gets painted here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. I love that because guess what? I actually need God's help to help me live a life that honors him and to worship him. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Anybody feel, oh, I relate to that. See, because that's what you're thinking. Really? I can, how do I live sacrificially? How do I worship God? I mean, Pastor Chris, if you knew my life, I get up, I have the same routine. I drive the same hour and 45 minutes. Two and a half hours if there's traffic on toll roads that cost way too much money. I'm sorry, I'm just processing externally with you. Uh, and I do all these, and then I have the same meal. We do the same thing. We go here, da 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 da. He's like, yeah, your everyday ordinary life. Then he gets even more descriptive. I love it. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God. Your normal everyday life that you look at and think is really insignificant. Every single one of you, God's saying. You can take this. This is what Paul's writing to you. He's saying you can take that and you can give it to God and make a difference. You can give it to God and it can be worship unto him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now watch this, verse 2. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. 
Can I tell you, we don't live in a culture of gratitude. We don't live in a, we have a culture of worship, but it's worship on the wrong things, on the wrong objects. Saying, don't become so well-adjusted. Some of us, we become really well-adjusted to the normalities of our culture. And what we have deemed as norm, God never intended to be the norm. He says, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognizing what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. You see, my heart for you is that you grow, yes, in living a more thankful life, but also that you recognize the connection that to live a more thankful life is to live a more worshipful life. But that impacts our everyday. I know what you're thinking. Okay, Pastor Chris, I'm, is this, are you just wanting us to be more expressive in church for service? I knew it. Like, you just want me to go, like, just raise a hand, raise butt. You want me to be that guy has got a question up on the second row. And just raise my hands. Is that what you want? You want me to yell, clap, shout? Is that what you want? No. I'm not looking for you to be more expressive. I'm looking for you to be more engaged. That you live a worshipful life and understand that your everyday ordinary, going to work, eating, sleeping, the aspects of your life that think are boring, mundane, and insignificant, it can be worship unto God. That you can live a worshipful life. Yes, there are expressions. And I'm sure as you engage more with him and you grow and you recognize how much he's brought you out of darkness into the light, you may clap a little more. You, you may, you may go, I, I know you're thinking, you're like, Pastor Chris, is, are you preaching? Is that why you're over there on the side you're just watching? You're like, is that guy raising his hand? Is you? you may go from like, I, I went next level. I got both eyes closed. I'm feeling real powerful, spiritual. God's working. Up oh, the palms up. You may progress. That's not the goal. The goal is not how you're expressive. The goal is how you're engaging in a worshipful life. So how does this translate to my everyday? I want to give you four things real quick practically. Because I want to give you God's word. You need to understand this is not about, okay, let's just be a more thankful and worshipful people. And like, I want you to understand what God's word says about this. But I also want to help you translate, connect the dots, and see how does this play out in my everyday? How does it impact me? When I live more worshipful... How does it impact me every day? Well, first is this. Worship changes my focus. Revelations 5.12, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And when I begin to change the object of my worship, I begin to go, okay, Jesus, you gave all. How could I not give all? You gave, I want to give you, I want to worship you. I want to put my focus on you. Remember, what does the word worship mean? Worth-ship. That word worth means the value and equivalent to that of someone or something under consideration. The level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. We all ascribe worth to something. How do we look and see the value and worth that Jesus has in my life. And that in turn determines how I worth ship. What I ascribe value in my everyday life. 
Yes, when you come into service, maybe raising your hand or singing or clapping, engaging, okay? Engaging at home, on your drive to work, when you're with your spouse, and the way you honor each other, maybe the way you pray for one another, your everyday ordinary life, you can honor God. And what begins to happen is we recognize worship is simply an expression of gratitude and thankfulness for who God is. Why? Because worship's our heart's response to who God is and what he's done. That's how I worship. So worship changes my focus. And then what begins to happen is worship changes my perspective. It changes my perspective. Watch what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you picking up what Paul's laying down? He's giving a, a, a ongoing, he's simply saying the same thing different ways. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He may be preeminent. What is he saying? It's the same principle that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. What does that mean? The cornerstone, when you build something, when you build your life, when Jesus is the cornerstone, that's why I'm starting. Everything else builds from there. It begins to level everything else from there. It is the starting place. Can I tell you, when you worship, and your focus is on Jesus, and what happens is as you start to build, as you start to live life, as you start to take on those things in your ordinary, everyday life, start with Jesus, and it'll shift your perspective. It'll shift your perspective. You see, because when you see Jesus working and moving, it changes the way you see things. Remember, go back to 1 Thessalonians. I can be thankful in all things. How? Because I'm starting with Jesus. Wendy and I this week, literally, two conversations, two separate families, one in the DFW area, one in California. Both lost a child. One had triplets, lost two. Talking with them, praying with them. We don't understand why that happened. I don't recognize. I don't know. But when I start with Jesus, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now have the hope of eternity. And God's word says that that children are a gift from God. And while those children as a gift may not be able to be enjoyed here on earth, they will be enjoyed in heaven for all eternity. And eternity is far longer than the time span of which we live here on earth. It doesn't make it any less painful. Or difficult. But what it does do is it changes my perspective because I started with Jesus and the finished work of what he did on the cross. When I worship, it changes my perspective. When I worship, it helps me access power. It helps me access power. I don't know about you, but I need help. Now, I know what you're thinking. Easy. Don't go. We know, Pastor. You do need help. Okay, Be gentle. Be gracious with me. I know I need help. That's why God gave me that little Cajun queen over there. Trust me. She lets me know what, when, where, and how I need help often. Now, she's really grown in how she lets me know early on and a little rough on how she let me know what I needed help with. Okay? She's really grown in that. All right? I'm a little more receptive to it. But I need help. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit is where that help's found. 
It's Jesus and the finished work and the victory I have because of what he did on the cross. And then when he says, it's to your advantage, I go to be with the Father. Then because of that, what begins to happen is now he sends a helper, an advocate, a comforter, who is the Holy Spirit who helps me. So I need help. And what we have to realize is worship is a way in which we access that help. Worship is a weapon. Now, I know what some of you in here are thinking. You're like, now you're speaking my language, Pastor Chris. Man, that clapping stuff and raising hands, you know, I don't know. But weapon, I like that. You're talking to me like we're going to learn like some Jesus jiu-jitsu. What do we do? You know. The weapons that we fight with are different than the weapons of this world. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10. Three through four. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Divine power to demolish the strongholds. You see, Paul is the same person that wrote this, that when he's in prison locked up with Silas in Acts 16, which was a chapter before what we read in Acts 17 about the worshiping of objects and the unknown God. It says they were worshiping in prison and that the gates and the doors of the prison were thrust open. It was in that worship that they began to experience freedom. Now, I know you're like, wait, wait. So you're saying sing songs, worship, clap? That's my weapon? Now, now I know some of you, you're pragmatists. Let me make it real practical to you for you. How many of you have a go-to song? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are already grinning. You're thinking of the song already in your head. Let's say when you work out, you're like, man, I got to get that last rep. You're like, throw that thing on, turn it up. You know? Now, maybe we can't play that song in church. or maybe some stuff in there that maybe not be in it. You got to go to some. Let's talk about, let's say we get out of the winter, and it's like starting to get warm, and it's spring, and it's like, man, it feels great. You're like, man, you, you got that song. Throw the top off the Jeep, roll the windows down, wind in my hair, you like that, you know. I know a lot of you like that. You got that country song, man. I'm just, no offense, love you. I'm not, you just turn on that country me. You're like, oh, it gives you all the feels. You like it. You got to go. So why am I telling you that? Because practically and pragmatically, you already do it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not equating worship to just a, your favorite playlist. But what I am saying is there is power and significance in music. You already feel it and experience it. So what happens is when you worship, when you clap your hands, when you sing, when you declare, when you lift your voice, when you shout, when you recognize he's brought me out of darkness into light, what are you doing? You're accessing a power that otherwise you wouldn't. Worship gives you access to that. And then lastly is this. Worship changes my environment. It changes my environment. You see, at the end of the day, we want, we, we want to be thankful. Okay, you're tracking along. I want to live a more worshipful life. But at the end of the day, what we really want to feel, what we want to experience is peace. You want peace in your home. You want peace in situations. Many of us, we don't, we don't like conflict. Most people are conflict averse. They, they don't, less of it. They're, they're not looking for it. When it comes up, they retreat. So we don't like that. We're looking for peace. But peace is on the other end of living a thankful and worshipful life. Look at what the words of Paul are in Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. Now, I'm going to read this to you. I want to paint this picture, and then I'm going to pray for you here in just a minute. It says, don't worry about anything. Anybody got any worry? Real easy to do. Just go to Costco and be like, man, 
That's $10 more than it was last week. What's happening? You can start worrying. Instead, pray about everything. Okay, I I can do that. I'm going to pray. Tell God what you need. Oh, I'm really good at that one. God, I need this. I need that. In fact, I need you to change that person, change this person, fix it. God's like, no, I want to talk to you about you first. But okay. I'm really good at pray. I'm really good at tell God what I need. But then what he says, watch what he says, and thank him for all he has done. So it's like a three-legged stool. I'm really good at praying. I'm really good at telling God what I need. But I'm not always really good at being thankful. You see, because worry creeps in. But what does Paul say? Don't worry about anything. And my encouragement to you would be, don't worry about what you don't know. Most of the time when we're worrying, we're worrying about things we don't even know. We've created narratives in our, in our mind, and it's, Paul calls it vain imaginations. We're way off in wherever thinking about stuff. Don't worry about what you don't know. Be thankful for what you do know. I do know God's faithful. I do know that he will work and move. I do know he's doing 10,000 things on my behalf, and I may be aware through him. So when I pray, when I tell him what I need, and when I'm thankful, watch what happens. Then I'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Peace is what we want. You see, worship doesn't change your situation. It changes you in the middle of your situation. That's what worship does. And when you live a more worshipful life, you'll live a more thankful life. And when you live a more thankful life, you'll live a more worshipful life. And you'll see how you take your everyday, ordinary life, the things that you think are insignificant, and you can give it to God in worship. It's not about expression, although it may result in that. It's about engagement. If I was to start the message and say, how many of you want more peace? How many of you are here? But if I start with, how many of you want to worship more? You're like, well, tell me more about that, preacher. What does that actually mean? All I did is give you God's word and help you recognize and see how living a more thankful and worshipful life plays out in you every day. And really allows you to experience his presence on a more consistent basis and actually helps you get to what you're all wanting and the same thing I'm wanting peace peace so we can live this way Psalms 34 I read Psalms 34 one to you earlier says I'll bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth what if we live that way what if we live more thankful more worshipful My soul makes its boast in the Lord, and let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Matthew, close your eyes and bow your head. You may be here today, and and you don't know that peace that surpasses all understanding, because you don't know the Prince of Peace and the person who gives peace that surpasses all understanding. His name's Jesus. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ and made him the Lord and Savior of your life, but today you can. As you're seated there, you just simply, to yourself, you simply pray, Jesus, I surrender to you today. I ask you to come in and be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin, my guilt, and my shame, and you make me new. And as I surrender to you today, I pray that not only would I experience peace as pastors all understanding, but I would live a more thankful and worshipful life because today is the day you've brought me out of darkness and into your marvelous light.
If you prayed that prayer at the end of service, our prayer team will be up here. We have a Bible we'd love to give you as well as resources to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But here's my prayer for all of us, that as we come into this season, we would be more thankful and worshipful. So Jesus, I pray that we would see how worshiping you, ascribing value, worth and honor to you, you're do it, you're worth it, you deserve it. As I do that, how it impacts my everyday life. Shift my focus, change my perspective. Let me lean into worship as a weapon when I feel like I'm in the middle of a battle. And most importantly, let me access really the peace that I want in my life, my marriage, my family, my relationships. I find it in you. So I thank you for that, Jesus. In your name, amen.